Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Naked Reflections, brought to you from the Wolf Institute. I'm Ed Kessler, and each week I'll be taking an in-depth look at the stories reported by our friends over at The Naked Scientists. What does the latest scientific stuff mean for the rest of us? Stay with us and find out. Recently, NASA made a bit of history with its first all-female spacewalk, the two women astronauts stepped out of the International Space Station to mend a failed power unit. So I just applied to become an astronaut since it was a dream of mine since I was five years old. And luckily, I think some of my experiences working with the physiology of organisms in extreme environments like the Antarctic or with these bar-headed geese helped them see that perhaps my background, my diversity as a human would be pretty useful in these space environments as well. Astronaut Jessica Meyer speaking on the Naked Scientists just before her historic walk. This item got us thinking about the subject of inclusivity in society, science, academia and religious institutions. A big subject for sure, and an area where scientists and faith leaders have not always covered themselves with glory. With me to discuss matters are Dr Leah Tarragonzella, research fellow here at the Wolf Institute and an expert on grassroots interfaith initiatives amongst women, Izzy Clark Headley, final year undergraduate student at Girton College, Cambridge, and their ethnic minorities officer, and James Sinkins, access officer for the African Caribbean Society and second year at Pembroke College. Welcome all. I struggle with this term inclusivity. I don't know what it really means. And here we have a panel representing different ethnic minorities, questions of gender, religion. So what does it mean to you? Leah? Uh, to me, inclusivity is really just one word, it's power. <laughs> it's a moment um, when people realize um, that they have had all the power in their hands, and the question is, what do they do with it? Inclusivity usually means that there have been only men here before, typically only white men. And the question is, who and how are they going to be 
allowing in. And I say that because inclusivity always sounds very nice. Oh, we'll let you in, right? But letting you in is still filled with power. And do you feel let in or do you feel you're still uh, you're, you're fighting for your place? I think it depends where. Um, being a woman, being a religious woman, being a religious woman from a minority group um, means that there's some spaces that people don't even realize that they're not letting me in. I'll give you the easiest example. Um, I moved to Cambridge and realized I hadn't checked ahead of time that the department seminar that I was going to was on a Friday between 4.15 to 6. That has been the legacy in Cambridge for quite a while. 4.15 to 6 is not only anti-family time, it's anti-Jewish time. In the winter, it's always Sabbath, Friday at that time. And nobody had ever thought that that is a space that means that a door is locked. And so it's an exclusive space that you had to push back on. What about you, Izzy? I would say that inclusivity for me is the acknowledgement that spaces need to be representative and diverse, um, making sure that it's really the pursuit that everyone can feel comfortable in a space and everyone could feel like they can see themselves in an environment. So it really is twofold it comes from. Those who have historically not had to think about any person diverse from them but also those diverse individuals knowing that 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 exclusive spaces are no longer that are no longer exclusive and have you also in your own experience had to uh, face the sort of challenges that leah's just mentioned and push back on the sort of people being exclusive and excluding you i would say i have but i i don't know how explicit it, it has been i would say that because I guess in Cambridge spaces, there are not a lot of Caribbean students and I'm of Caribbean heritage. And just reminding people in general that my experiences may be different to yours. And that, for example, um, in the African Caribbean society, there is a lot of people from mixed heritage, but a large amount of um, the, the students there are from the, the continent of Africa. And I think in those spaces when it's heavily one type of experience, I've had to remind people that that is not my story or this is what my story is and this is what it means and this is what I can bring to the table. Right. James, you are access officer for the African Caribbean Society. Is that something that um, uh, that you recognise? I'd say my, my reasons for becoming access officer were more because, um, you know, back home at school, like a lot of people, they were kind of averse to applying to Cambridge. They thought, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's an impossible thing to reach. I, and I was among them until it actually happened. I was just thinking, you know, the, they were all like really bright students. They should have tried. They should have, you know, invested as much time as they could into it because the chance was really there. But it's just this this image that, you know, Cambridge is just this far away place that it's, it's almost unreachable, which is, isn't true. I wanted to change that um, slightly. Yeah. Um, so I guess I guess that links to inclusivity because um, I guess image, although it's hard to control your image, it does have an impact on who approaches you and, and you know, yeah, exactly. Because there's been quite a lot of publicity recently, hasn't there? You know, with the Stormzy scholarships, with the um, the taking up space, uh, particularly in Cambridge. What difference has that made? I say it made a huge impact. Um, Stormzy, Stormzy sort of co-signing the ACS um, has really boosted sort of our, our reach because, you know, we, as access officer, I, we, I carry out access initiatives uh, with the rest of the committee, of course. And, you know, his, his help has really boosted our reach. So we have an annual access conference where we sort of detail applying to Cambridge, what it's like for students of African and Caribbean heritage. I think the, this year, part, that, the one that we just had, sorry, um, it's been the biggest one so far. 
you know, we can't just say it's just it's just our publicity. I mean, we did we did run around, you know, trying to get Stormzy helped, right? But Stormzy helped. He did help, of course. I really we really appreciate him because he shouted us out on Twitter. And I just think it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Can I ask you, I, I'm wondering, you spoke a lot about images. And it struck me very much um, um, when I um, started going to Newnham College, which is a female uh, college in Cambridge, that just walking around and seeing pictures of women on the walls, having images of women looking at you, and I I don't know what, what it feels like for you mm-hmm. as well, Amin Gurdon, but I suddenly realized how much the images make a difference and how different I feel when I see women around me. And I'm wondering, have you ever had such an experience or can you create such an experience? Yeah, sure. Um, Both of you. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there are many images of, say, you know, black academics, that kind of thing around. So I can, I can attest to the opposite. Right. Um, <laughs> so where I'm from in London, like, it's a very sort of diverse area. S- strangely, my school had no white students my sixth form to, uh, to be to be specific sorry um which is strange in england obviously but it, it, that was how it was for me so it was it was like i didn't have to think about my heritage really until i came to cambridge and i came i was like okay i'm actually very different <laughs> um i guess it, it makes you second guess a lot of things like i'll be walking around town and someone's staring at me i'm like is it is it because of this is it because of that but it weird so um I can't. I can't really say what some. I can't. You know. You can't say what someone's thinking. But being very in a space where you're very different, it's, it makes you second guess almost every interaction. It's very. It's very confusing. Yeah, I would say like on the point of images. I think for me at Girton, as it was one of the places, the first places that women could study and get a degree, it's, it's very powerful. Um, I do look around and I see the pictures of matriculation photos of women on the walls and it is very empowering however there's not a lot of representation outside of for the BME experience so I think one of the main things I've been trying to do well I have done as ethnic minorities officer there is that I've been going to the the archives with my JCR and we've been finding images of BME alumni Um, so we found uh, students from all the way back to the the 1800s that came to Girton from India, Egypt, the Caribbean, the continent, and just pulling out those images and pulling out those stories, and I've been posting them on our on our social media pages, just to keep like that thing you said about images. It's really important for people to see their legacy in a place, and especially for Girton, it's their 150th anniversary this year. Well, it was in October, and it, I think it's really important that you can see yourself there. Like I'm walking the halls, I'm living the experience, and I want to know who else has done that. Right. It's interesting because my college, St. Edmund's College, has just made me think that all the pictures, all the portraits are men and they're all white. Um, so that's something I'm going to take away with me. We have just appointed our first female head of house, so that's something. <laughs> but nevertheless, the student community is incredibly diverse, but not necessarily the fellowship or the, the officers of that community. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I was, um, went back to my old school in London. Um, now, when I was at that school, there was one black child, I mean, the sixth form. But now it's incredibly diverse. And having lived in London and moved up to Cambridge, I had the same experience where I didn't notice a face of colour in London because you just don't. Whereas here in Cambridge, you do. And so it's good to hear that there's an improvement, but it's still a long way to go. Um, So what more can be done to make not just the University of Cambridge, but other universities more inclusive? 
for me, the simplest thing or the first thing that could be done was similar to the work I've done is that looking at increasing the images of represent- representation throughout the universities. So highlighting those individuals that are diverse and what they've done at the university, whether that be here or that be in other universities, just to change the narrative. I think uh, similar to what James was saying about students not feeling that Cambridge was a space for them because they didn't see it or they didn't know. I think across the board, it's pulling out the stories where that's not the case. So people can see that. And as I said, when I was talking about my definition of inclusivity, so people can see that that's a space that is open to them, that has been available to someone that looks like them or from a heritage or a background similar to theirs. Um, Well, I wanted to to add to that and and just say um, something more. I've been studying um, kind of female interfaith initiatives in the UK on a very grassroots level. And I've been really interested in watching how women particularly um, from religious settings, um, create leadership spaces and that. And I've experienced this myself and heard this from others that many times you'll get a phone call saying, oh, we're putting together a panel and we need, you know, a woman from a religious minority background. Now, you could see that phone call as an empowering one. And you could also see them as, you know, a moment of reifying borders again. And it's really, really tricky because we do want to make sure that images and panels are representative of the diversity of real life. However, when you're inviting, and I felt this my own many times, you know, you could have said something different when you invited me. Even if you had in your head that I needed to tick a box that you have, you can invite me and say, you know, you're doing really interesting work on, please sit on the panel that we're putting together on. If I was a male, you would have invited me like that. So if you want to invite me and you want me to come, respect me. I guess I can see what you're saying. It's kind of like, obviously, your identity is important to you. It's who you are. But like, you know, outside of that, you have like a reg- you know, you have a regular life. So it's kind of like being, being put into a hole again, but in a different way. You use the term BME, and I was reading that that, that term, or, or BAME, is, is also quite controversial and problematic, yes, partly yes. because it excludes others. Um, and you mentioned yourself coming from a Caribbean heritage, mm-hmm. perhaps a smaller group amongst the, um, yeah. the Afro-Caribbean society. Yeah, I would, I would definitely say that. I think uh, in society as a whole, we're trying to move away from the term BAME um, because it in one light some people argue that it lumps too many experiences together and you can't you can't respect the nuance of the situation and then in the second sense um as you said it excludes some individuals so that's why um i really push for my role at girton to be called ethnic minorities officer which is its official title it's really hard to move away from the use of the term because being able to think of a category okay bame begins the conversation but it just doesn't take it far enough and i guess at this point i would also point to james saying how like before I came to Cambridge, I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, I was like, what? Sorry, your BAME, is it? <laughs> like, yeah. I just really didn't know what that was. So it was just like, oh, okay, adjusting to that title. And I guess, um, so that's like the first kind of barrier, I guess, with the title. It's, it's trying to be, it's trying to recognize the lack of inclusion, but also being a bit exclusionary at the same time. Um, so I would say moving forward, we need to find a way to, to, to straddle that tension a bit better and a lot of it sounds like is is about educating 
people yeah. you know educate, mm-hmm. educating your own communities and other communities whether it's gender related or ethnic related or national related um, because uh, so many of us I include myself uh, aren't, aren't quite sure of what words to use so we, we, we're extra careful and maybe Leah in, in some of the invitations they're not quite sure what to say so therefore say the absolute minimum and you hear something else and um, so maybe there's a nervousness about what people are saying and, and how they're asking you yeah, I think there's definitely something about people being um, nervous about it, but <laughs> it still doesn't give. I mean, I just think that people need to be more reflective and try to put themselves in other people's shoes and try to listen, try to think what it would feel like if they were in the person's shoes who's getting that type of invitation. Just try to be a little bit more reflective. But what I do think that is really, really important is that we live in a world in which I think on a formal level, people understand that doors need to be opened. But the trickier thing is in an informal level, because as we know in life, you can get a spot into a university, you can be part of a department, but there's many, many other levels of networking and of choosing the right topic for a dissertation and knowing which parties to go to and knowing which thing. There's a lot of other decisions that many people either come with that type of knowledge or already have networks that know to tell them to do this and to do that. And if you're coming without that type of networking and without that type of background because you're the first in your family or because you are the first in your entire school to come to a place like this, then you have no idea. And the only way is for other people to give you that information. And it's tricky because it's not information that you can read on the Cambridge welcoming, whatever. It's all informal. So how do people go that knowledge? It's really tricky. As part of my role as ethnic minorities officer, um, you have to, or you're invited to hold a talk on uh, with the freshers about race and respect with some other equalities officers. And I think when I was approaching that task, it really was important for me to push the idea of challenging your assumptions. So similar to what you said is pushing the idea that we need to care and respect and empathize with everybody's situation. So when you're making a comment or making an assumption, before you do that, why are you making it? What effect is that going to have? How would it feel if it was played out in your situation? What is going on behind the scenes? I think, as you said, it's about society as a whole reflecting and taking the time to really think, what are the assumptions before I say something? What are the assumptions before I make a certain action or uh, include or exclude a certain person? Or as you said, invite someone to a panel. You're listening to Naked Reflections with me, Ed Kessler. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Leah Tarabinzella, Izzy Clark-Headley and James Simpkins. And we're discussing inclusivity. And that includes you, dear listener. Leah, part of your role at Cambridge was to serve as the chaplain to the Jewish community or co-chaplain to the Jewish community. Um, and there is, is there not, I mean, I'm often asked, you know, doesn't it all go back to religion? The problem of exclusivity, whether it's about gender and patriarchy, um, whether it's about elitism. Um, I'm sure you've been asked that question as well. Um, so I'd like to widen it out and explore whether the, uh, pr- some of the challenges we're facing have religious roots. Religious roots is obviously a tricky question to answer Um, because when you think about religious roots, both in Judaism and other religions, um, patriarchy is what was everyday life when these religions um, were, you know, being formed. 
when you look at something and say, oh, you know, Judaism in the Bible or in the Quran, it says whatever it is it says, you have to understand that it's both religion and culture meshed together. And it's extremely hard to make a separation between the two. So if you look at the Bible, for example, and you look at the beginning, so you see Adam and Eve and you have these different creation stories, and then you have this documentation of history, and it's all male, right? If you have to compare how many women have names, in the Bible, and the Bible is something that we all share, all three. There's other religions as well, but, you know, the three um, monotheistic um, religions. They all share the very same beginning point in which men count and women don't. So you do have female leaders, but they will be the minorities at that moment in time. Is it religion? Is it culture? It's extremely hard to, to make that type of, um, of a shift. I can't say that in today's world... When religions are going back to canonical texts and using them to continue religious practices and to continue questions about gender segregation and prayer and leadership and whatever it is, it will sometimes have a different trajectory when you're trying to create change within a religious setting and when you're trying to create setting within a secular setting. But as I've said that, I'm very unhappy with this dichotomy between what you can call religion and secularism because the history of the two are so intertwined that it's extremely hard to make a specific decision on that, I think. <laughs> well, presumably, picking up something that Izzy said, that setting up models, even if they are the minority in the Bible or they're the minority in Cambridge or having portraits of the small number of um, uh, black and African and Caribbean students is, is something that we need for everybody to see, not just people from that heritage, but for, you know, for white men like me. Um, what about some of the controversies over statues, for example, where they should be taken down, like the, you know, in Oxford we had with the Rhodes uh, statue here in Cambridge, at Jesus College, the Benin bronze um, statues as well. I mean, is that, is, that, is that an issue or are we making sort of a mountain out of a molehill? Previously, when the statues were taken, the view on colonialism is, you know, it's, it's, you know a human right in a way, like, you have the right to conquer and, you know, take down. In today's society, we, can't, we view that as wrong. It's stealing. It's killing. It's, you know, it's invasion. To, I, I guess it's a, it's a positive move to go back on that, to show that this is how far we've come in society. We don't need to steal from each other. We can respect each other's cultures and, you know, return possessions. It, it, it was someone's possession, to put, it, to put it one way. So I think it's a, it was a really positive move of Jesus to take the statue out from where it was and reconsider where it should be. So do you think, James, do you feel more optimistic um, that, that, that there is progress, there's momentum? And we mentioned the Stormzy impact. But beyond that, is, 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 is there greater awareness of these issues in, in the wider community, in the whole community, not just the BAME community? I say, I say it depends where you are. In Cambridge, there's definitely there's a movement among, you know, among the universities, you know, improving on these issues and raise awareness and that kind of thing. Do you get pushback, um, though? Do you also get pushback? As in, yeah, as in... I'll tell you what, go go on Facebook. Um, you're not going to enjoy it, but go on Facebook, find any video relating to this and just mm. read the comments. They're was, all British people and you, you, I'm not going to go into detail, but you'll be disappointed. Well, you know what? When I set up the Wolf Institute 20 odd years ago, I was just a student here at Cambridge and I was told in no uncertain terms with some uh, fairly strong swear words just to back off. It was wholly inappropriate. And this was just, at that time, Jewish-Christian relations, you know. So there is resistance. And you're right, one of the things about the social media is you can easily put up comments that are vile, whether it's about colour or religion or gender. 
I don't know what we do about it other than keep trying and making change and having models like you, but others as well, standing up and saying, no, this is wrong. So Stormzy Scholarship, for example, the comments, the comments wouldn't be like, you know, I don't want this to be a thing. It was more of a thing like, why is it for them and not for me? So it obviously comes from a lack of understanding, which is annoying on our part because it's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to harbor money for myself. It's just like, it's harder for students from my background to come here. Or at least it shows in the, the admissions. Is it also part of the flawed human condition, the sort of tendency towards prejudice, whether it's against yeah. color or, or gender? Yeah, I definitely think I would add to that in the sense of, um, so in my role as the ACS's first Caribbean officer, I did come across some concerns and resistance as to the impetus for the role. Um, is it going to be divisive? Is it going to take away from the ACS? Um, and basically the concerns were just people being uncomfortable about change. And I think that is mirrored in like these other movements as well, is that it invites people that may not have, that may have been in a privileged position to kind of check that and kind of um, reflect on their situation. And it, as as James mentioned, it, it, it brings people into this insecure place of what about me? What about my experience? Or is my experience now uh, of less importance to someone else? And I think as as society, we need to move away from that it, to become more inclusive or to move into more inclusive spaces. It's identifying that it's okay. Like my my story or my journey is still relevant to myself and to the people like me. But there are so many other stories that need to be told. And by including people, it's not excluding myself. If that makes sense. If I could just add to what you're saying, Izzy, and um, and also maybe ask both of you. But you were speaking about change, and you were using um, the word fear. And I think that emotions are no less important here because when we're speaking about change. Um, like you rightfully said, you know, people are scared. It, it questions their own being. The people who are opening the doors yeah. are very scared about what that opening can do. Is it going to flood some, everything so much that I'll, that I'll lose my own standing? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a very, very delicate dance that needs to be done. And I use the word dance purposefully because it's an embodied gesture of opening a door in which both people need to move for something to happen. Mm-hmm. Opening the door, having somebody, you know, the image of having somebody opening up a door and let people in is an image that is a solid image of one person standing and the other person moving. Mm-hmm. But for it to work, we need to both move. We both need to move. And it's a cognitive change and it's an emotional change. And it's very, very tricky because it's loaded for both people. It's loaded for both, for everyone. And sometimes when we're emotional, we're a little bit less careful and and we learn we need to have to learn how to dance it is basically what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I like to add to Izzy's point as well, um, and also go back to the discussion about the, the term BME because I guess one, once you use that term, it kind of suggests you know a community of just BME people is just kind of a some kind of frictionless utopia, which is mm-hmm. just not the case. It's, exclu- it's exclusive, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. it, it just mm-hmm. it just reduces the experience completely. Yeah. I mean, there are tensions between. BME communities, <laughs> loads of tensions between them, right, um, yeah. and you know that that was that was more evident to me than tensions between white people and BME students or BME people, mm-hmm. because I was surrounded by, to quote Marx again, <laughs> BME people. So mm-hmm. it was it was strange to me because you know when I was at home, the racism that I witnessed and experienced was not from white people; it was from other people of other you know backgrounds. So I'd say moving for moving forward, we have to really realize that like 
every single experience is different. Every single one is is going to have some difference. Although there's going to be alignment of experiences, each each experience is completely different, and that that has to be acknowledged um, for progress to be made, in my opinion. Well, thank you, everybody. It was a wonderful conversation. Uh, I'd like to thank my guests, Izzy Clark Headley um, at uh, Girton College and uh, Leah Tarragonzella here from the Wolf Institute. And of course, James Simpkins from Pembroke College. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with any comments, thoughts, feedback or reflections of your own, you can email reflections at nakedscientists.com. In the meantime, you can find more episodes of Naked Reflections and subscribe to the Naked Reflections podcast at nakedscientists.com slash reflections. Do join us next time when we'll be talking about the ideas of travel from pilgrimage to package tours. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.